0: Each of these layoffs impacts a person. Companies tend to avoid the human element by calling these workforce reductions or a reduction in headcount, which are terms we really like to avoid around here. Um, But it's been really heartening at the same time to see the biotech community pop up to help out those suddenly in need of new jobs.
1: That's Annalie Armstrong, an editor here at Fierce Life Sciences. Later, we'll hear more from her about the layoff trends we are seeing in biotech this year. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce Medtech, and Fierce Pharma. Today is Friday, July 22nd, and this week, nearly our entire team is meeting in Washington, D.C., some of them meeting each other for the first time. So instead of bringing you the latest news today, we've got something a little different, a deep dive into the important topics of industry layoffs and generics. And then next week, we're devoting an entire podcast to our next-gen virtual event, You won't want to miss that one. We've got an amazing lineup of panelists. And after that, keep tuning in every Friday morning for all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. If there's been one theme that tells a story about biotech's situation in 2022, it's layoffs. The number of staff layoffs across the sector reached such a height that Fierce Biotech began keeping track of these announcements in March with our layoff tracker. And there's been no let-up since. Here to discuss the reasons behind some of the biggest layoffs of the year is Annalie Armstrong and James Waldron. As we reach the
0: halfway point for the year, we thought it would be a good time to look back on some of the most game-changing events. It's also important to note that each of these layoffs impacts a person. Companies tend to avoid the human element by calling these workforce reductions or a reduction in headcount, which are terms we really like to avoid around here. Um, But it's been really heartening at the same time to see the biotech community pop up to help out those suddenly in need of new jobs. So, James, we're going to start with Novartis and profile some of the companies that are going to appear in our special report this week.
2: Well, I mean, Novartis is kind of the odd one out on our list, really, because it's the only big pharma, and in their case, it's not really a response to the biotech bear market, rather than the result of some quite ambitious restructuring at the company. So, this is a this is a pharma that's trying to combine its pharma and oncology divisions into a single innovative medicines unit, and so we first got wind of this, really, or at least most of the details, when. Um, the Swiss drug maker explained to Fierce Pharma back in April that it expected a number somewhere in the single digit thousands of roles across the company to be terminated as part of this, this, this restructuring. And then we had to fast forward to June for when we got the full details where Novartis revealed that around 8,000 of its 108,000 employees worldwide um, would potentially face the axe, including around 1,400 roles at its home base in Switzerland alone. So Novartis kind of explained it, hoped the restructuring um, would continue over the course of the next few months. And ultimately the goal is, you know, they're looking to make about one billion dollars in savings. So, you know, f- for the pain of losing these staff, you know, they're hoping to make a significant dividend for the business. And our eyes are really going to be on whether um, you know, that's money and resources that they can channel back into the hunt for MA because we know from their most recent earnings call that they're on the lookout for deals below the $2 billion mark really. So we wanna see what the next stage is beyond this restructuring.
0: I really can't get over that number in the single digit thousands, and then it ends up being 8,000 people. That is so many people and such a huge layoff. Um, so hopefully those people have been able to find a home elsewhere since this happened. So for our next company, we profiled Genosia. We used to compile a list of companies that had shut down over the past year at Fierce Biotech, but that's getting kind of harder to do as companies have really been pushing on no matter what these days. But Genosia is a notable exception, and there's a couple more you can check out on our special report. Um, So this company seemed to have some really good things going for it. Executives presented some proof-of-concept data for a solid-tumor T-cell therapy in the first half of April. They were pretty excited about those results, presenting it at a medical conference. But weeks later, things really took a turn. Genosia hired an investment bank to conduct a strategic review and laid off about 65% of its workforce. Then a month later, the company officially closed up shop. The remaining staff were let go as of June 2nd, and the company had delisted from the NASDAQ. So James, do you wanna talk about our next company?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's some similarities here with Kaleido, um, which is um, another company on the list. It, it's another business where they you know, wound up and closed the company completely. So you know, really went to, the, uh, went to the extreme there to, to try and um, resolve both of the business issues. In the case of Kaleido, it followed an eight-month string of setbacks. So this is a company that's focused on the microbiome, which is a red-hot therapy area, but really one of the early red flags we saw with Kaleido was actually to do with COVID, and, and it had a COVID therapy for which it received a warning letter from the FDA back in August 2019, claiming the biotech hadn't um, ran its trial for the asset by the agency. And Kaleido's explanation was that it really classed um, this asset as more of a food than a drug. But you know, maybe unsurprisingly, this didn't carry that much water with the FDA. And then if we fast forward three months later, Kaleido um, revealed that its money was starting to dwindle and it only had enough cash to survive until the second quarter of 2022. So as a last resort, the biotech cut its staff and then it ended its COPD program. But this wasn't enough to really solve the problems of a company that. Uh, by the end of 2021, it was looking at a deficit of over $360 million, you know, so, so it had quite a lot of issues to deal with. And then finally, by April this year, Kaleido um, revealed it was unable to find a viable transaction to rescue the business and so began the process of winding down.
0: All right, so our next company is, kind, is a really interesting case. Um, so last year, Bluebird Bio announced it would split off its cancer-focused work into a company that would be called 270 Bio, uh, and Bluebird would continue to be focused on rare diseases. Both CEOs, um, of course, painted a very rosy picture of this new setup in conversations with Fierce Biotech and Fierce Pharma, but reality has been quite different for both of them. Both have now had to undergo a round of layoffs. Bluebird laid off about 30% of its staff in April as its previously approved gene therapy was pulled from Europe. The company has been, had been fighting with regulators there over pricing issues, and ultimately they decided they had to back off. So the company continues to work on getting its gene therapies called Betacel and Elicel into the U.S. market, but obviously 30% of staff are now gone from the company. Meanwhile, at 270, 6% of the workforce was sent home in March to reduce overhead costs and streamline its operating model. So it, it was kind of interesting to see any cuts at all because the company emerged with a slimmed down model in the first place, which is something the CEO really touted. And, you know, they said they had the best model possible to move forward. So this cut was meant to save about thirty million dollars and extend 270s cash runway into 2023.
2: Well, I think that's interesting in terms of the the split that Bluebird made because that's actually something that's kind of a theme that we saw in another com- uh, company that I looked at, Humanity. Uh, but I'm getting ahead because that's kind of where the company ended up. So if we rewind a little bit, um, this was a, this was really a biotech that we had really high hopes for. Um, it was focused on another hot therapy area, neurodegenerative disease. Um, It made Fierce Biotech's Fierce 15 list back in 2015, only a year after the company was founded. And then uh, by 2020, uh, Humanity had signed a licensing deal with Merck to the tune of $500 million for a couple of therapies. Um, So, you know, it seemed full steam ahead. But costs started to balloon as they were um, pushing their Parkinson's disease candidate through the clinic. And then they got slapped with a partial uh, hold from the FDA on a multi-dose clinical trial. So, You know, by February this year, the company had announced it had to lay off sixty percent of its workforce, which gave you a sign of some of the trouble they were in. You know, there were some last resort attempts to save the business, but ultimately, what they ended up doing was, you know, as we mentioned, splitting up the business entirely. So Johnson and Johnson took over that that lead Parkinson's therapy and a selection of unpartnered assets, and the main part of the business. Uh, including its NASDAQ listing, were actually absorbed by an immuno-oncology biotech called Kineta in June. And then Humanity, you know, as a business with its own brand, really disappeared. So quite a sad end to to a, a biotech that we had really high hopes for. And I think, you know, sadly, that's a story we've been seeing with some of the companies, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're also hearing of biotechs that are struggling, even though they do have good data or or assets um, in their pipeline. So it's it's just a really tough time for biotech. And these layoffs really
1: underscore the issue. The Fierce Layoff Tracker profiled 10 companies total. So check out our special report on FierceBiotech.com. And it's also linked in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. Look for podcasts. And we'll continue to track the layoff situation and update our tracker. So please send us your tips if you know of any biotechs that may be making cuts. Next up, Fierce Pharma did another special report, this time on the top 10 companies by sales of generic drugs. And in the report, we reveal some interesting things going on in that sector of the industry. So here's Eric Saganowski and Kevin Dunleavy to talk about their report.
3: I think the biggest takeaway was how static the sector has been over the last few years. From 2018 to 2020, overall sales were stuck at $74 billion. That was a surprise to me because I think of these companies, especially the big giants like Teva, Sando, Beatrice, and we think of them as being like the regular pharma powerhouses that are kind of always on the increase as far as revenues go. But that's not really the case. Take a look at Teva. And they've had declining sales every year for the last five, and that's been a big decrease. Uh, 2017, they were at 11.9 billion, and then last year they were at 8.9 billion. But now we look at Teva, and we see declining sales every year for the last five. 2017, for example, 11.8 billion dollars of generic business they did; they're all all the way down to 8.9 last year. Back in 2010, their CEO predicted an overall $31 billion revenue figure for the for the company, and they're at barely half that. And they've had trouble, too, beyond generics. They've had a lot of litigation over opioids, price fixing, and they've lost the exclusivity of their blockbuster drug, uh, Copaxin. But when you read through their quarterly reports and their SEC filings, it becomes clear that uh, that Teva's losing their enthusiasm for generics. What are some of those factors, Eric?
4: Yeah, thanks, Kevin. So over the years, I've been covering Teva, and they've always highlighted, or at least as long as I've been covering them, they've been highlighting pricing pressure on generics. Um, This is a really competitive field. And it's a lower margin business than than the branded pharmaceutical business. So higher competition makes it increasingly tough for these companies to operate. Companies in India and China have a lower cost base. So they're able to challenge companies like Teva in the generics field. Aside from those factors, the pandemic has also challenged generics companies like others. Um, They've seen supply challenges, regulatory disturbances leading to delays for inspections and approval. And like other companies, they've seen labor disturbances. And you mentioned that the, the sales have declined over the years. This kind of took analysts by surprise. So what did you see there?
3: The last time Fierce Pharma did one of these generics reports was back in 2017, and Evaluate predicted that generic sales would reach 103 billion for the uh, for the sector by 2020 and 115 billion by 2022, and we're not even close to either of those figures. There is some positive outlook for the industry, um, and we're starting to see analysts predict predict it for that. Uh, The rebound. The German company Statista sees generic sales reaching 99 billion overall for the industry by 2026, and there are lots of signs that the industry is really ready to take off again. Uh, There's a lot of blockbuster drugs losing exclusivity soon. Uh, Governments are working to reduce drug prices. We'll see how successful that is. Uh, I don't know if we've (laughs) we've seen them having a lot of success with that, but. But that's a factor that would really change things. There's lots of chronic diseases uh, on the rise. Populations are increasing age wise. And the automation is really cutting the cost of manufacturing and making compliance a lot easier. So the time really is right for an increase, despite what we said about those two top companies that had declines last year. All the other companies in the top 10 had increases, however,
4: and some of them were large. Yeah, one of them was Aspen of South Africa. They posted a 12% revenue increase. That was the largest increase this year, and that allowed them to jump into the top 10 generics companies, replacing Lupin. Now, Aspen made a lot of headlines last year for partnering with Johnson & Johnson on the company's COVID vaccine, but that project appears to have been a bust. As of May, Bloomberg reported that Aspen didn't have a single order for the vaccine. Uh, Moving down the list... Dr. Reddy's Laboratories, an Indian company, also delivered a large gain at 11.5% versus 2020. Um, This company is continuing to grow. They recently inked a partnership with Novartis to help that company uh, market some of its drugs in India. And they're gearing up to launch a generic of Bristol-Myers Squibb's. Multiple myeloma drug, Revlimid. Also delivering a nice increase was Cipla, an Indian company. They posted a 7% revenue increase for the year. They delivered strong sales in India and the United States and benefited from a licensing deal with Gilead for its COVID drug. Now they're also on tap to help produce Pfizer's Paxlovid, that's a COVID antiviral, under the partnership with the medicines patent pool. Those are some of the companies from India, but there are others on this list.
3: Yeah, overall of the top 10, four of them are from India. The other two are Aurobindo, which had a 7% increase, and Sun Pharma, which had a 3% increase. Aurobindo does a lot of business in the U.S. Uh, they have 6.8% share of the market, uh, so they're, they, they are constantly in a, in a good position. They may have to take a step back in 22. They're having a horrible year so far. They had a warning letter from the FDA. They closed a plant down in New Jersey, uh, terminating 99 employees. That plant had been troubled for a long time with multiple FDA sanctions. They've also had a recall of one of their antibiotic drugs, and they lost a court battle with uh, Teva, preventing it from selling a generic version of one of Teva's drugs until 2033. As for Sun Pharma, they're one of the most prolific drug sellers in the world. They sell to over 100 countries and they have a very diverse portfolio, and that's really served them well through uh, kind of a tough time in the industry. And they've had growth despite being haunted by their acquisition of Rand Baxi. That happened in 2014, and they're still having trouble with that. Uh, they had to settle an antitrust claim for $485 million. They may have a hard time this year, too. Now, we haven't said much about the companies at the top of the list, number two, Sando, and number three, Viatris. Uh, both are in a state of flux net right now. Eric, what's going on with them?
4: We've talked about the challenges that these companies are facing, and that has not made them the favorite businesses uh, for the, some of the big pharma CEOs. So you're seeing a lot of big pharmas look at separating their, their generics businesses or their API businesses off, so they can focus on their brands. Um, To that point, Novartis is thinking about what to do with Sando. They might spin it off, they might keep it, but so far they haven't said. They are going to decide by the end of the year. Vietras came into being through the merger of Mylan and Pfizer's Upjohn unit, and they recently sold off their portfolio of biosimilars to Biocon for $3.3 billion. This just shows that the industry is in flux right now, a lot of big pharmas are looking to focus on their brands more than generics.
1: That's it for The Top Line. I'm senior producer Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. Don't forget to follow The Top Line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.